Welcome back to this film not rated a branch of the ah! Music City. A branch Sorry, of the you music... startled me. <laughs> a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast, where we tried to not rate what we watched this week while talking full spoilers. So as y'all know, there's a bit of a competition with this film not rated gauntlet. The real reason that we're here. Uh, well, the real reason we're here, I watched... Uh, I finally got done watching Waterworld for the first time. I didn't watch the theatrical one. I watched the Ulysses cut. Me too. Uh, um, I did. I did see the bad guys this weekend, which got me in the mood to rewatching Zootopia because uh, they're very similar movies, and they just, I just, I just wanted to go back and revisit that world. Hmm. So your review of the bad guys is it made you want to watch Zootopia, and we're going to talk about Zootopia. Yep. <laughs> well, I pushed along with watching Star Wars, so I want to review Star Wars. Okay. Third for A New Hope on 4K. And then we're going to talk about the Batman. And so the way that we stagger this, I guess we're going to talk about Star Wars in 4K first. So uh, I'm assuming what made you go back to watch A New Hope is partly watching Revenge of the Sith and partly because Obi-Wan's airing now. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I was kind of on a road where I was on this kick of just really enjoying it without having it be a thing that's constantly being picked apart and blown up in media and whatnot. Uh But, um, no, a huge thing that I was wanting to point out, here's the deal with watching Star Wars in 4k in the mid 2010s, when 4k was getting ready to be a thing before Lucasfilm was bought by Disney, they we're making 4K digital intermediates so that they could re-release the movies in 3D in theaters. The promise was back when Phantom Menace came out in 3D, if it did well enough, they would progress to do Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith and then progress to do 4, 5, and 6. They finished all those restorations, did nothing with them, and then they were used for the 4K re-released and distributed on Disney+. Plus. So for a lot of people who kind of knew this but weren't sure, yes, George Lucas was 100% in charge of adding the McClunky bit. The goal was to hype up audiences over re-releasing the prequels one at a time so that people could finally get back into theaters to watch Star Wars in theaters with their children so that that McClunky bit could happen in front of people in 3D. And that is an absolute troll move. And I kind of find that funny, but I also find it as distracting as the rest of the changes in the original. So, Star Wars. Any scene that was a special edition change, from what I can tell, looked like it had that sort of gloss over it, the way the prequels had to upscale and rely on um, high dynamic range to service the increase in quality random spots in the movie look marginally different in quality than other spots in the movie. Uh, Star Wars was something that was very complex and detail-oriented and fantastical and from the imagination of George Lucas. If you go look up Anakin Starkiller and you can see an adaptation of the original script in uh, comic book format in episodes... There's probably a trade of it out there. And you can see, you know, Luke Skywalker, the general, triumphantly rip his own robot heart out and die. You know, like all these bizarre things because it was the Journal of the Wills, episode four, the Star Wars, you know, that kind of thing. 
there are so many elements that got distilled down to what was recorded on set, which was a nightmare that George Lucas survived. And then there is an infamous piece of behind the scenes footage where someone talks about the original edit of Star Wars. Uh, Echo Will saying, you know, saved in editing as most of the internet does, but it's a guy saying that the original cut of Star Wars, um, that cuts dictated the story versus uh when someone took it over they would allow the people and the beats and the action on screen to dictate where the cuts should go you accidentally stumbled into telling almost probably the quintessential story so quintessential that you can drop in and out ray is another female main character remake the movie and it can be just as successful uh so outside of gender outside of race outside of most social elements you took something out of space and time and despite the aesthetic that definitely hallmarks it as the 70s a little bit um you told a story that has been researched and studied and boiled down to whatever exists outside of it this story as it is can mean so many things and apply universally and resonate with an audience and become something as big as Star Wars. So then you take a character like Obi-Wan and his definition can be anything. You know, he can be an individual person or he can be a representation of a mentor. He can be a Jungian archetype. He can be living, breathing human. He can represent nonviolence. He can do all of these different things. Mm-hmm. And then the more you do with him, the more you define him and whittle away possibilities. The characterization was was a big thing. It, I, you, I didn't notice it as a kid, but you know, Luke is is pretty well uh, developed throughout. Like he starts out a, as this whiny kid who's forced on this adventure, runs into Leia, who's already when, when you meet her, she's already as developed as she's going to get for that movie. Uh, but she's consistent. Then you have Han Solo, who's just there for the job and like grows into someone who actually cares for these people. Like, like it's it's all there, and it, it's so I guess baseline that you could almost do anything with it, and they kind of do. But I, even as a kid, that 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 final run when 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 Luke is is shooting down the uh, Death Star, uh, is uh, it still is an emotional scene for me. Yeah, the three locations were always a thing that stuck out to me, which is a thing that that George Lucas wanted to do. I think he he he's like, actually said that that he wanted like three main that he wanted three locations for each movie, so so they would be visually different, so you could tell at which point you were in the movie or something along those lines. Star Wars is always going to, at its bare minimum, represent standing up in the face of what you believe is evil and doing what you feel is right at its core. And that's why for some reason forever, no matter how dated it gets, no matter what changes you make to it, even if you have to listen to Obi-Wan make that crazy noise they replace it with, mm-hmm. even when you have to listen to Greedo say McClunky, you are always going to have that core. And so I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I feel like new Star Wars is like taking away from old Star Wars, quote unquote. Okay. But, you know, Star Wars has always had a... a, a, a a soft spot for for, for me uh it, it's always been been a family film uh the first time i, I watched it it was it, it was with my dad and my brothers uh it's one of the few movies that that that, that we'd watch together 
I, I wasn't a huge fan of it like my dad was, but uh, I, I understood what, what was going on. I, I always, because of the VHSs, I could never see the skeletons of, of Uncle Owen and, and Aunt Peru. I know they're supposed to be looking at them and I would look so hard at the, at the screen just to see them. <laughs> and I never could. Uh, that may have to do with the format because the, the format is a full screen format. So the sides are, are cut off. So uh -huh. whenever Luke is seeing, it says, uh, I, I can't see any uh, of, of the Sand Raiders. Oh, wait, there, there's one now. Where, where, and I, I'm just saying, where, where is it? I don't see it. I just see the Bantha. <laughs> it bothered the <laughs> shit out of me because I didn't understand the concept of, of, of cropping for, for home releases. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know that until I was like an adult already. That's funny. Yeah, that's the thing. And there's the despecialized versions now where we get to watch things that are weirdly familiar from watching VHSs that weren't altered as, as a very little children. Mm hmm but also those were all full screen adjusted for home video release. So those they're still not yeah. the same images because we looked at cropped images. But I got to tell you, even after watching Star Wars in 4K, there's been so much work just from diehard fans on the internet uh -huh. to recreate not just the despecialized editions and continue to upscale them so they look better, uh -huh. The at least the first one. Uh, but there's this project called 4K77 that is a full-on 4K restoration, untouched, not trying to clean it, just full-on make it the fragments that seem to have been found uh, similar to those found for the despecialized versions sure. to make it as, as 4K as possible, as untouched as possible. So some people still prefer the despecialized version because when you do that, you get like messed up looking, you know, grainy footage and whatnot. And like, so people prefer that, but like, you know. Time to talk about Waterworld, I guess. Oh, please let me come back to this world. So this is the first time that I've watched. No, I like. And people I, remember the last time that we talked about Waterworld on this channel was the original cut of Waterworld. What I'll say about Waterworld is this is a movie that by all accounts I should I should like. It's an action adventure uh, film with with uh, with practical set pieces and uh, take no prisoners. Uh, don't give a shit about anyone else main character, kind of like with the Mad Max movies. This is leagues ahead in terms of pacing in terms of making this stand out as a story that earns something not just a ripoff of mad max and it's so you special to me the commitment of any studio to making sure that a remaster of a fan's edit of a movie was published and released alongside the original cut of the movie Owning this on in the Arrow video Blu-ray of this mm -hmm. is in support of a studio like Universal being willing to release a fan's cut of their movie to distribute that alongside their product. That is huge. Yeah. Not even that, but like the movie itself is just gargantuan. And I know that's the thing is they put so much money into this movie and it tanked. But on revisiting it, like there's so much. Like people are talking about Top Gun right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, Chris Stuckman, he was making his his review of Top Gun. I loved his review of Top Gun. because He talks about how it's a movie that kind of makes you envious 
of people just being out there making movies and like the impossible amount of talent that's on screen and how there are just singular shots in that movie that are the entire budget of his movie Shelby Oaks. And (laughs) some of the most incredible stunt work on display, even in the part that I originally wasn't too big of a fan of, where the villain with Dennis Hopper is trying to leave with the girl in that plane Mm-hmm. And they pull off just an absolutely spectacular, again, grappling hook type thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like it's a grappling hook day to day. And just the leap that he makes and, and the choice of making that language work between shots that had to be entirely disconnected from one another and planned. Just the gargantuan amount of effort to paint and build and put things together and wear costumes and give that actor a platform to pull off such a simple shot to make this gargantuan life and death explosive event happen is just inhumanly possible. Regardless of whether Mad Max existed, the idea that people can coordinate enough to create something like this is baffling. Oh yeah, no, like that, that's like one of the parts of, of the film that I liked. I don't know, like at some point, like, it, like the middle of the movie, it kind of slows down. Oh yeah. Uh, and it becomes almost a slog to get through. Like I, I like there are parts where I was falling asleep. Uh, and they're the, 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 the entire time they're, they're trying to, to develop Kevin Cosner's na- uh, nameless character. But at some point, I just didn't care about his character development. I wanted the movie to like move along. Okay. Like for like the the emotional core of the movie for me was was the 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 uh, the mother character and 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 the child and and their journey with Kevin Cosner. Uh, he was just kind of like the delivery device. So when you say emotional core, what do you mean? Uh, they're the people that that you're actually rooting for, the the, the people that, that that you can relate to the most. Oh, uh, see, I to me, Kevin, Co- like the whole thing is, I'm supposed to believe this world. Mm-hmm. So to me, the characters that feel the most of this world that I can relate to keep me from believing things as much as Kevin Costner observing the woman when she's trying to like give up her body to save the girl and he's kind of considering it because you know he's he's a, a mutant who's been on his own forever and whatnot and he's kind of like just no go away you know like it's 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 those sort of interactions where it's sort of you're like oh my gosh these people are so far removed from right society okay. um but so to me that that's the thing it requires the two of them I can understand if you say like the two of them, you're supposed to care about their journey to find dry land. But to me, it takes the three of them to make you believe that it's important to find dry land and therefore care that they get there. Okay. Uh, I did like Dennis Hopper in, in, in this villain role though. Like uh, he's just mad enough to be, to uh, be entertaining, uh, forgets things that he's said before, like, uh, like, when when he promises not to kill the person i, I love that kind of interaction because at, at that point he's a man of his word but the guy that he wants to die still dies yeah and the original cut of the movie everyone was taking it so seriously that dennis hopper actually kind of put me off like i wasn't too big of a fan of it mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know if it's just because of the longer amount of time letting the rest of the moments breathe or what. But to me, 
there is just enough pieces in place to really buy into him as this sort of religious zealot. Yeah. I hope that's the right word. And he owns it. And so he's not just playing it campy because he thinks he's in a B movie. He's playing it campy because his character is a nutbag. Like his character believes these things. And the way he plays the rest of the community too, this line where he sort of believes his own crap, but also knows it's crap because he's putting out there to everyone else like lies uh-huh. Like when, when he's given the little talks that I'm, I don't hundred percent remember from the original cut with the girl at the end uh-huh. where he says, I'll, t- I'll tell them I know the way to land. I don't know the way to land, but we'll figure out something by the time they figure out I was lying. Right. Yeah. By, by the time that they figured it out, they'll, they'll have been rowing for three months. Yeah. And that, I, I love that. That's so sadistic. <laughs> Jack right. Black dying. Oh my gosh. Wait, Jack Black was in the movie. Yeah, he's one of the dudes that worked for him. You can see him in a couple of different scenes. Okay. To, to your credit, mm-hmm. they put all of this money and time and effort into a couple of action set pieces and then also tried to commit to this as not just an action movie. Yeah. And so it kind of has this thing that's kind of like the Lone Ranger where there are elements in the Lone Ranger that try and take itself seriously and go in weird directions and explain how like nature's out of balance and try and build their own mythology Uh and if they relied a little bit more and if they had they had to go in one of two directions you either go into that as a more artistic outlet for the characters which you could do for this movie Uh or redesign the sequences between your action set pieces to string them together and keep people engaged i can understand people not just the social dynamic of him swimming her down to show her that the way that he gets dirt is because finding uh, Earth is hopeless. Yeah. It's like inspirational and bitter at the same time. So you wanted to talk about uh, another? Batman. Batman. 1989. <laughs> the one where Batman uh, has no qualms with killing Batman returns more so than this one, but yes, I don't think he hesitates to uh, grab a dude by the neck with his ankles and throw him multiple stories to his death. He doesn't really hesitate with that. Right. Um, But at the same time, it's really one of those things where it's sort of, there was a lot of action movies at the time that was kill or be killed. Yes. So if you, in the eighties, if at the end of the eighties, if you were going to have Michael Keaton step in, Without everyone already assumed he wasn't going to be able to pull off this bravado badass Batman mm-hmm. and have him like have a rule against killing and saving the people the whole time. Like, I feel like people would have poked at him, but I don't know. But I, this is so for one, in an, out, uh, an alternate universe out there, there is some world where Jack Nicholson served as an acting coach for the guy who plays him young in this movie so that you got someone who looks exactly like the Joker, but still giving Jack Nicholson's performance. Cause that dude's face is uncanny. 
the way that he smiled. Oh my gosh, that guy needs to put on the makeup, do something. Like, I don't know where he is. I don't know what happened to him, but that dude is the Joker. Like, without even trying. The movie Batman 89 is an interesting kind of take on, a, on again, comic book serialized storytelling. And it's funny, Batman was one of those adventure serials. And I have that on DVD, the original 30 serial where Batman used to put a, a little stamp, a sticker on people of a bat to let the police know that Batman had stopped them. And it's fascinating to me because... There are those little images. There's those little beats that are in Batman that are almost exactly Star Wars. You don't see him become Batman in this movie, but you still have, if you compare Batman with Luke Skywalker, you know that he has a mentor. He has um, Alfred who supports him. Uh-huh. You know that there's a government out there and that Batman is sort of a rebel who doesn't follow the government. But, you know, there's also villains out there and a bunch of corruption. And so you have your basic simple elements of a hero and a villain. But what I really like about this version of it is there's a a unique step here that has been done before and has been done since, but I think is underappreciated. And it's, it's this awesome line that Michael Keaton gives where the Joker tries to pull the card that's been pulled by a thousand villains since then in, in like a hundred different superhero movies. Uh Or he's like, you made me, you're responsible for me. And this Batman alone gets to go. I made you, you made me first. Mm. I I love that line. And, and, and Joker has no idea what he's talking about because he does not know Batman is Bruce Wayne. So he's like, you killed my parents. And he's like, what? Like <laughs> he gets punched and then spits out chattering teeth. It's so, it's so dark and fun and just, uh, and it's gorgeous on 4K. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful. The score is, is, is gr- excellent. Um, a fun thing in this one, there is no bat signal yet because Batman is just sort of this creature crawling around that the police don't really know that much about. Ooh. His gift to the city at the end is the bat signal. So mm. I, it's kind of cool. Like this, this yeah. isn't really an origin, but it's such an interesting way to dive into the world and the character. Really, it's let's do the first Batman movie. Oh, you mean Batman's origin? No, no, no. The Joker's origin. Like, <laughs> that's great. You know, it's it's yeah. kind of like it's it's like if you took Spider-Man the movie and skip ahead to where he's already in the suit. It kind of plays out very similar, except for Green Goblin is not the dude who killed Uncle Ben. Right. You know, it's it's just so much imagination and such a good Tim Burton's eye for um, framing things in camera so that mm-hmm. even when you don't have all the Garth- gothic architecture artwork, mm-hmm. it still feels like there are towering uh, German expressionist shadows. Because the, the whole thing is... German expressionist kind of sort of you put a squiggly equal sign to horror history. Uh-huh. And so you take this idea of Superman came out in the seventies. Well, Batman is going to be the horror roots version of that. And right. Gosh, that's fun. Like, wait till they get a load of me. So many quotable moments. I really do enjoy Michael Keaton as Batman. I think it's just his look when he's Bruce Wayne does not hold up. I don't think. 
Um, and not face-wise. I think Michael Keaton's fine. I mean, literally wearing a turtleneck and having your hair up like that. Yeah, like like he's... And I don't know if emo is the right word, but he's he's pretty damn depressing from what I remember. The only reason emo is not the right word is because it hadn't happened yet. <laughs> I just know he's, he's, he's pretty damn depressing throughout the entire movie. Like he finds yeah. a, like he finds a small ray of sun sunshine in dating Vicky Vale. Oddly enough, I think of 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 Peter in in Far From Home trying to explain to MJ that he's Spider-Man. Except they just have MJ come out and say you're 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 Spider-Man and like avoid that whole awkward situation. But yes, but Peter also lives in a world of the Avengers where yeah. everyone knows someone has to be it. They live in a world where only criminals technically know someone is creeping around like a bat. <laughs> and the reporter kind of knows because she, she was saved by Batman. Mm-hmm. So she knows Batman's out there. But she knows he's this dude with this insane looking automobile who beats the crap out of people and is willing to kill. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to explain this and have her still stay in the same room? Like, <laughs> right. I, I don't remember how that storyline ends. Does Bruce Wayne break it off or does Vicky Vale just kind of get the gist of what's going on? And oh, no, be Batman? they're together. Oh, there are a it's, couple at the end. It's written off at the in, in Batman Returns that they separated. Mm. But at the end of the movie, she gets in the back of the um of a limousine with Alfred, and the bat signal is shining. So she says, Master Wayne will be late for dinner. And she's kind of like, you know, I wouldn't, I would assume so. You know, like she just kind of is on board. <laughs> See, that's that's actually kind of great. I do want to talk a bit more about Tim Burton because like he, he gets a lot of shit now nowadays, but like back in the eighties, especially with, with, uh, with the Batman, you, I, I just really like the way that that Batman 89 is, is, is shot and, and the way that everything is set up and laid out. It, it, it just fits for the character and, and just like, it gives Gotham almost a character itself. So uh, I guess I'm I'm back in the gauntlet now. Oh yeah, you're gonna be in the gauntlet because you're and and and, and I'm gonna be super like critical of you. So Zootopia uh-huh. is is Zootopia good or bad? It's great. I uh, Zootopia is. Yeah, it's 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 very special for for me. I well, the first time I saw this movie in theaters, I I, I watched it without with the, having only seen one bit of uh, promotional material, and it was the DMV scene. I knew literally nothing about going into this film mm-hmm. at all, and so just watching the story unfold, uh, just going from beat to beat, was exhilarating. What was the best scene in Zootopia? At its core, Zootopia is a movie about discrimination and and the uh, and the troubles that it can cause. The scene, what? Someone could argue that the point of the movie is the friendship between the fox and the bunny, which comes from dis- <laughs> whatever. You're in a subjective uh, argument at that point. That's uh, fair enough. Uh, this the the scene where Gideon Gray is, is delivering pies and you have that epiphany moment for uh, Judy Hopps where everything comes together and she is in full un- understanding of what's going on. What about that uh, scene? Uh, it's, 
uh, like not long before that, she said uh, she says the line, uh, "A bunny could never go savage," and that just like gets turned on its head with that scene where a bunny can go savage, depending like like with with the Min- with the Minnicamp and Hol- um, Holly Sithius. What should be cut out of the movie? There is a sequence uh, late in the film where you're getting a montage of uh, how predators are going savage after Judy Hobbs has found uh, where Mayor Lionheart has been keeping all the predators. And all that scene seems to do is reiterate what we've seen previously. Your point was that that is uh, not new information. Yeah. Which obviously can be argued. Like, if it didn't happen, you wouldn't see the escalation. Yeah, okay. So, So who's the best actor? Who's the worst actor? The way Jennifer Goodwin plays Judy Hopps, she's playing her as this idealistic uh, uh, character that wants to make a change in the world and has reality slap her in the face. And she has to play a character that has to live with the... No. I think I get what you're trying to say. She has biases and she has to perform a protagonist that is flawed and that those flaws are called out and you have to still root for her. Yeah. Well, I guess you don't really have to still root for her either. This is tricky ground you're walking on. Uh, what's his name? Rich Moore has a cameo voice role that I forget several, uh, er, that I forget about every time I watch the, the film. Half a point for Judy Hopps. Fair. Jennifer Goodwin. And that's fair for, for that. Okay. So give me the best quote from the movie. This is a quote that stands out to me um, every time I watch it. It comes from a scene where you're finally starting to get backstory on uh, on uh, Nick Wilde. And uh, it's, it's when he's giving uh, his uh, speech, uh, his uh, monologue on how he wanted to be a junior ranger and, and how that affected him. Uh, the line is... Uh, Never let them see that they got to you. So what could you add to make the movie better? I can't think of a single thing that I would add in to make the movie better. Uh, What'd you enjoy from the story? When it comes down to it, outside of all the, uh, like, like you take out uh, all the notions of uh, the, of, of discrimination and and everything. It's, it's a, it's a mystery crime thriller. And I always find those kind of stories entertaining. Okay. Uh, did you learn anything from about making movies from watching this? Uh, the little mannerisms that the individual animals had, uh, like uh, Judy Hop twi- twi- I'm a twitching her nose whenever she's nervous, tapping her foot real fast. Yeah, uh, gives a sense of, uh, I guess, realism to the characters that makes it more believable that this is an animal populated world. Hmm. I had a feeling. Doesn't make it more believable. Right. 
could I'm probably most 99% of people <laughs> sure who's going to argue with this you know whatever what would make you watch Zootopia again well the thing that made me go back to watch it this time was uh having seen uh the bad guys in, in theaters and me and that kind of making me want to go back and watch something that had a similar flavor that yep just that so would you recommend people watch the bad guys or just watch this oh uh, i i think uh ugh. i'm not gonna answer that question <laughs> okay would nicholas cage have made this movie better there are roles that i would like to see nicholas cage in uh Specifically, him in the Mayor Lionheart role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that would make the movie better, though. You don't know. Okay. All right, Curtis, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Go ahead. Ask me the gauntlet questions about Zootopia. Okay. Okay. Uh, why uh, is this a good or a bad movie? Did I enjoy this movie? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> the movie. Did- the movie gave you. Uh, 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 a cheat sheet cheat sheet to get through this yeah i'm not gonna let anyone get away with that in any other movie except for zootopia <laughs> fair enough but yeah like I, I this says this was a special movie for me like I, I this is the first movie i saw in theaters after a long stint of not seeing disney films in theaters like uh after i think it's like right after frozen or something like that mm-hmm uh, there are behind the scenes footage of of Jason Bateman in in the in the, the recording yeah. yeah and i think a lot of 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 the of what made nick wild appealing was the reactions that they that the animators gave him because when when you see jason bateman in the studios he's just standing there like like giving a lecture and like like pointing his finger up and it's very different from the animation that that you're getting mm-hmm. so like the performance that the fox is, is being given to his vocal performance i think is part of what makes nick nick wild the character that that he is mm-hmm. uh, this is also like odd, oddly enough the first time you got uh, animals in an anthropomorphic state uh like this since robin hood is, is the last time like anthrop- anthropomorphic animals that maintain their their animal right uh structure i guess all the way um, since robin hood all the way since robin hood that was part of the inspiration on why they wanted to do the animation style like this in fact uh, nick wilde looks a lot like robin hood for that yeah, reason yeah that's fascinating i guess i always think about disney i always think about it as talking animals i never think it's mm-hmm. been more often than not that me it's been humans yep so headcanon do you think they're the same universe uh possibly because robin hood is medieval time so they yeah. could very well be that uh and you still have the the lion mayor prince john is a lion this uh movie went through multiple iterations before it got to the the thing that we got today it was initially going to be a, a nick a nick wilde's uh story where uh, he sees all the all the prejudice that that's going towards predators at the time, and he has this idea that I'm gonna make a theme park where predators can go in can can go inside, take off their shock collars, and just be free while they're in there, and only while they're in there. Okay. And everyone is denying him this uh, this thing because no one wants the predators to to 
not be constrained in some way because of the perceived danger that they uh, have towards the prey. Uh, you still have Judy Hopps. It's still like this mystery type thing. Uh, but that's where that deleted scene of the polar bear, the, the, the coming of age ritual happens. And it's, it's Judy Hopps' first time as prey seeing this societal thing put on someone that is still innocent and doesn't deserve it. There is a, a pattern that I noticed uh, after a couple of times of watching this uh, years back is that there, there's this pattern of, uh, of try, fail, try, succeed uh, throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, Judy hops in, in the beginning, uh, tries to save her, try, 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 tries to get her friend's ticket back, uh, fails when she gets pushed through the ground, tries again when, he kicks, when she kicks Gideon in the face and at the same time gets the tickets back. So try, fail, try, try, succeed. Get it with the uh, police academy, uh, and just the overall like structure of the film follows that pattern multiple times until you get to, until you get to the inevitable hmm. con- con- conclusion. Yeah. Even the largest beat of the whole thing is she tries to make the world a better place, fails, tries again. Yeah. Succeeds. Yeah. Mm. That's really cool. Mm. I don't know if that's intentional, but it, it, it's it's I, I it just. It's it, it's a constant thing. Well, it's that it's that writing principle that everything in your movie should reinforce the the story. Like if if you don't need it, like take it out. That kind of stuff. And it's 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 interesting now that you mention it because you can take that principle and you can apply it to different bits in the movie and think like, is this scene reinforcing that point or progressing that story? And most of the time, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But like the, the, the core themes of, of the movie that uh, are, are discrimination and living beyond your, your social label. Early on in his childhood, Nick, Nick Wilde is like beaten into submission on, on what society is going to see him as. And so he just decides to fall into that category and it takes Judy Hopps to take him back out of it. And Judy Hopps almost gets beaten down in, 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 into that role because of, of, of the way that, that Zootopia is uh, structured. Both of them when they're kids and as a formative experience. But you know, there's just something fun about seeing people like fight back against that and come out better for it. Thank you for listening to another episode of This Film Not Rated Then. Uh, I'm Curtis. You can find me on uh, Twitter at 90sGamer407. You can also follow us on the This Film Not Rated Twitter at uh, T-F-N-R-C-M-E-L. Uh, I'm Eric. You can find me at High Contrast FLM on Twitter. Remember, we are a branch of the Music City Drive-In podcast network, so head on over to the musiccitydrivein.com. Check out a lot of their content, a lot of exciting different things. <sighs> Try everything. Try everything.